Formula One fans love to moan. They love to moan about any things. Pay drivers in Formula One, the state of the calendar, that that's probably one of the bigger moans for many F1 fans. Indeed, there's so much really that it really goes into that debate. There's, I'd say, three things they love to moan about. Really, what should and shouldn't be on the calendar? Just how many races should we have on the calendar? And what sort of tracks we should be going to? Classic tracks, tilcodromes, street tracks. It's a real debate that I think really encapsulates just so many Formula One fans love for the love for the sport, but also so much of their frustration as well. We love racing around some fantastic tracks in Formula One, but there are some that it's fair to say don't meet the standard that many expect. And there are some as well that really just aren't on the calendar and should be getting more of more of a chance, i.e. Sepang, maybe Kyle Army, definitely a race in Germany. But I'm just going to I'm going to stay quiet on that for now. Coming up in today's episode, we're going to look at exactly what makes the perfect Formula One calendar and how we can fix the current one. As ever, follow the Armchair F1 podcast across social media at Armchair F1 pod. Listen to us across all major streaming platforms. And yes, you are listening to the Armchair F1 podcast. Well, the calendar is a moan that so many F1 fans love to have. So let's go and have that moan now. Let's bring on two people who know exactly what it's like to moan about the calendar. I've heard them do it a lot. And I'm going to give them the platform to do it on the podcast today. Joe Spagnoli, back as ever. Dylan McKee as well. Hello to the both of you. Yeah, you really, really baited me out with that intro. You know that this is my favourite <laughs> thing to talk about as a Formula One fan forward slash armchair sim racer. So, yes. Love talking about tracks and love criticising them as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm the same. Just thinking about why I'm sat there wasting my Sunday afternoon watching cars go round on a track with no overtaking opportunities does definitely gripe me. So glad to be on and uh, talking about all the problems with the calendar. I mean, you've summed up basically every afternoon at the Sochi Autodrome, apart from last year. Apart from last year, just a little sprinkle of rain, mixed up grid, tends to do the job. Well, let's start off. Let's start off with the foundation. Let's start off with this year's calendar. Um, because it's, I, I guess the mould of the calendar hasn't changed that much. But just going through it quickly. So we start the Formula 1 season off in the Bahrain International Circuit, the Bahrain Grand Prix on the 20th of March. We go to Jeddah, Joe's favourite track, in Saudi Arabia the week later. Albert Park two weeks later, a newly reprofiled Albert Park as well. Of course, we meant to see the changes um, last season, particularly wider entry points going into turn one and turn three, and also a much more flowing section, moving that chicane at turn, I believe that's nine and ten at Melbourne, moving that, removing that chicane there and having it replaced by one long flowing corner going into that fast chicane of 11 and 12, which I think is going to be exciting. We go to Imola next to the end of April, the maiden race, in Miami on the 8th of May. Yep, we're going to Miami. It's going to be it's going to be a fun weekend. Maybe not the racing, but it's going to be a fun weekend. We go to as ever Barcelona, Monaco, Baku, Canada, back to the Canadian Grand Prix for the first time since 2019. And then as it tends to be in the middle of the season, we go to Silverstone, the Red Bull Rings, Paul Ricard in the middle of July. Not going to lie, I will be surprised. I know Ferrari had front tire issues last year. I surprise if going to Paul Ricard in late July, the tyres just aren't going to melt. 
on those cars because that is going to be one hot weekend. Hungaroing the week later, then the summer break before we have, as ever, pretty familiar end to the season. Spa, Zandvoort, Monza, Sochi, Marina Bay and Suzuka back to those two races for the first time since 2019. And then Cota, the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in Mexico, into Lagos, and then finishing off as, I guess, the Formula One gods and Michael Massey intended with a last lap showdown in Yas Marina. Definitely still not bitter about that one at all. So that's the shape of the calendar next year. And it's got it's got that very traditional form. Start off with some flyaways, go to Europe, have a couple of trips to North America, go back to Europe, and then finish off trekking around East Asia and Latin America. Um, We'll go down into a bit more of, I guess, over what races should be on the calendar. But, I mean, it's a calendar we've become accustomed to recently. It's an increasingly compact calendar. We've become accustomed, really, to all of this in recent years. Joe, I mean, when you take a look at the calendar right now, what do you say are the biggest faults you can see? What most needs to be fixed? Well, the one that immediately stands out to me, and it comes from the sustainability side of things, as, as you will know, and we'll probably get into this a little bit more, I really hate the idea of the Miami Grand Prix. I hate the track layout. I hate where it's going to be. The fact it's nowhere near downtown Miami. But I thought it made sense if it was packaged as a double header with the Grand Prix in Montreal, because I've always been a little bit confused as to why we fly to North America in the summer and then back to Europe. It's in the middle of the European mm. run, and but for some reason we go to North America. That hasn't happened. We're going to Miami in May, and then what? We're going. Well, hold on. We're going to Miami several rounds earlier. Miami's slated for the sixth to the eighth of May. Canada is going to be in the middle of June. I just don't understand that. Like, I, I, like, I get trying to package the season in various continents, like the European sector. I completely understand, especially um, the treble header venues after the summer break. But if you're going to go to North America, why not try and get it done? as much as possible at once. I know you can't go to Cota and Miami in back-to-back weeks, but Miami to Montreal, it's a hell of a lot better than flying to Baku or Monaco. Wait, I mean, it's an intriguing one there because in terms of that race in Canada, I mean, there'll be some people saying, well, you can't go to Canada in the middle of May because it'll be too wet or the weather won't be that nice. It'll be like doing a race in Silverstone in the middle of April. But there was a time where, of course, you had Montreal and you went to Indy after that and... That kind of worked. But yeah, I mean, Miami, I, I don't like the Grand Prix. I, I've looked at the track. It's basic, It's a car park. And we don't have a good record in American car parks in Formula 1. But the track just looks very dull. It doesn't look that inspiring. There's probably overtaking opportunities. I see one or two overtaking opportunities. But for half the lap, it's kind of like going through that final sector at Yas Marina. You just know you're going to get stuck behind a car. You're not going to be able to really have an overtaking opportunity. By the time you get to the straight, you may be struggling so much that you're not going to get much of a chance. I mean, Dylan, what about yourself? Looking at the calendar, what really do you think needs fixing? I definitely agree with Joe. The sort of just geographical layout of it doesn't make sense. Why are we flying? It's just nonsensical to be going from Imola to Miami and then go back to Barcelona. Like, why? And especially those smaller teams, that's going to be such a burden on teams like Haas. They've only got 200 employees compared to Mercedes 900. They can't rotate staff in and out. These long-haul flights are definitely going to be a struggle for them. And that plays into the fact that there are also 23 races on this calendar. How, how are we expecting these smaller teams to cope with the costs of this? And 
also put together a decent race car. I think there's a few circuits on there as well that I just don't think produce that great a race and why we're still racing at them is definitely sort of financially driven and that's not what we want to see from a fan's perspective. So definitely a couple of issues to pick up on there too. Well, 2022 has got something quite unique ascribed to it. We talk about the logistics, we talk about the amount of races. 2022 is very unique, perhaps, in how compact the races are, because we've become used in the last couple of years, at least, to a kind of mid-December finish. Twenty Now, 2020 was kind of the latest we'd ever finished. COVID kind of enforced us to do that. But I think it got fans into the idea that you can finish the season a bit into December if you have to, to fit in all of these races. We start mid to end of March, so that would make sense. But we're finishing off the season... Almost, again, in the in, I say in the old days of F1, you used to do a March to late October season and you'd be done by the time you get to November and it'll be cushy. But 23 races in exactly eight months with a one-month break in the middle as well of the season. I mean, it's a unique thing that's been enforced on 2022 because the FOM have said because of the Qatar World Cup even though when we've had World Cups in Europe, in South America in the past, we've always continued racing in June and July. God knows why they made that decision. But because we have those eight, that kind of eight-month kind of compact season, it's going to put a lot more pressure on these teams. I mean, Joe, obviously, small teams have struggled a lot in the past. And this is obviously, with these amount of races, with the increasing complexity of everyone, sure, you have the cost cap, but that's not really going to solve all of the problems. So do you think this is doable? These 23 races in eight months, the one month break in the middle and just loads of double headers and triple headers. If we see consequences from it, I doubt it'll be in the first year. Um, One of my sort of non-optimistic predictions in the next few years is that we may see the return of if the, if the teams and the hierarchies really care about individual race strikes during, say, triple headers or seasons that are overly compacted, because as we may get on to later, this 25 race limit for a season, either we are going to have the calendar absolutely butchered or Liberty are just going to throw it out the window because you've already, we're on 23 races this year. We've binned off Algarve and we haven't got a race in Doha. So if you put those in, you're already at the 25 limits. That's the you know the answer after that. But and um, there's China as well, which is and is coming back. Oh yeah, in 2023. And we're also going to have a second Grand Prix in China, a third Grand Prix in the US, because getting the because apparently that's more important than having races in South America and Africa. Um, but yeah, it's I don't think we'll see the real consequences of for of consequences of it for a couple of years. Bear in mind that this like extended off season was supposed to be to give the teams R and R and you know think about the mental health and well being of the team members, and then they just go and throw more races into a shorter distance. It seems, as with the geographical organisation of it, a little bit short sighted. Yeah, I'm just trying to do some counting at the moment, and this this actually I think is quite interesting. From the Monaco Grand Prix, from the Spanish, before that, from the Spanish Grand Prix onwards, so from race six of the season, if you remove the summer break in the middle, or even actually, even if you count that, from the Spanish Grand Prix to the end of the season, every sort of section of races is a double header or a triple header. You don't have a kind of consistent two week break like you had almost as the norm pretty much 10 years ago. So, 
you know, we've heard in the past triple headers teams have said that's going to put so much pressure on them from, I guess, the mental, the financial, the logistical standpoint. It's all, it is quite messy, especially as well when you consider this. I, I think there's two that stand out as quite difficult. The first one, going from Baku to Montreal in the weekend, considering that I think flights out of Baku, I remember that when they had the Europa League final there um, a few years ago, I remember Chelsea and Arsenal fans saying, well, there's only like one or two weekly flights out of Baku. So it's not, not the easiest thing to do, really. And then secondly, which I know they did back in 2010, they did this back in 2010, and I think that caused some stress. But going from Interlagos to Yas Marina, Sao Paulo to Abu Dhabi in a week. Dylan, I mean, it sounds like you could, it sounds like hell. I mean, you could, some of these sort of triple and double headers, you understand, like, you know, Spa-Zanvoort Monza as a triple header is not the most logistically challenging. All the ones in Europe don't really feel that challenging, but some of them, it, it's nonsensical, really. Yeah, I have to agree. I think, it's it's just looked like it's becoming a bit of a ragtag puzzle that's been jammed together rather than a coherent sort of flowing calendar that makes sense from a logistics standpoint. And that has so many knock-on effects with the teams and the staff that are working behind it. Like you said, they've got this, you know, slightly longer winter break, but then you're hitting them with 23 races, quite a grueling transport schedule. And again... I know we saw Haas transporting their car in white vans last year. Like the costs of travel are clearly going to add up. And if we're moving on to a even bigger calendar going forward, uh, potentially twenty up to twenty five races, and it looks like it will be that given the contracts that are in place. So, yeah, I think it's definitely something to worry about going forward, and maybe going back to the drawing board and thinking about where these races are placed rather than just trying to slot them into a pre-existing format is something that needs to be looked at. Well, you've got a bit of a flavour of what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the episode. Stick around, we're going to be talking next what tracks should and shouldn't be on the calendar. Okay, I'm going to go now to Joe and Dylan, and I'm going to do this as well. Actually, I have opinions on this show. we're going to look at the calendar and we're going to give ourselves an opportunity now to remove a track that shouldn't be there. Now, we're not just taking the 23 races that are on the calendar this season. We're taking any track that has a contract with Formula One at the moment. So that means the Shanghai International Circuit, the Chinese Grand Prix is included within that. It means a future race in Qatar, wherever we're going to be racing, I think around the streets of Doha, is included in that race. We've also technically the hypothetical. Um, the hypothetical Saudi Arabian Grand Prix in wherever, I think in Algeria in a couple of years' time, that's included on that as well. But it does mean, for example, tracks like Portimao and Turkey, which don't have a contract with FOM, we're not including in the discussion of if it shouldn't be on the calendar. Maybe we could say it's one that should be on the calendar. So let's run through the tracks quickly, guys. Um, Dylan, let's come to you this time. Give me a track that you think should not be on the calendar. Oh, where to start? I think the race that I probably won't bother watching, don't bother most years because it's usually quite dry, is the France Grand Prix in Paul Ricard. I think that's maybe the most expendable. 
I mean, in general, I would say, yes. I mean, it has a very colourful runoff area. I'll give him that. It's it's an artistic masterpiece. I don't know. I feel this year showed the potential of that track. And I think it showed if you the cars are a lot closer together, if the field spreads a lot less, you can... And I think particularly with the strategy element as well, I think it was interesting to see the way those soft tyres were degrading throughout the race and the way that t- so the drivers were managing the tyre wear differently. It produced quite a good race this year. I don't know, Joe, I'm, I'm in two minds about Paul Ricard because we've had some absolutely horrific races at Paul Ricard of late, but new cars, a potential silver lining from 2021. I don't know. I'm not so sure because France as well as a country with motorsport history and there's no real alternative I can think of. If Dylan wants it off the calendar, then rules are rules and it will be off the calendar. However, I really like Paul Ricard. I've always been it's one of his biggest defenders. You know what? I'll put myself on the cross now. I like the runoff area, Cam and Dylan. Wow. There's nothing else that looks like it. I like how safe the track is as well. The scenery is actually really nice. Forget the fact it's in the middle of nowhere and it's apparently really difficult to get to even in a country like France. But we've had three races there and two of them have actually been quite good it doesn't these new cars don't even come into the equation for me and you can make the debate as to whether or not we need a french grand prix because we didn't have one for quite a long time and no one really minded to be honest but there are no other venues in france that could realistically host a grand prix anymore the only track i can think of is the circuit de la Sarre, but that's a pu- those are public roads and they're already used twice a year for moto gp and le mans the French will not want more disruption uh, for a whole Grand Prix week. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because Paul Ricard is it, clearly designed for Formula One cars, which I guess is something we do have to... The, the fact that we even have to say it's a track designed for Formula One cars when we're talking about most tracks these days is mildly concerning, to say the least. I, I don't know, Dylan, why, why the negativity with Paul Ricard? I think... I just disagree with Joe about the runoff areas. I think it is a safe track and, you know, there's that safety element there, which is a positive. But I think it's a, it doesn't translate well on TV. Like, it doesn't look good. I, I just, there's something about it that's not for me. And I don't think these new cars will maybe improve overtaking. And obviously we've got new tyres as well. So I don't know if you can depend on the strategy element with tyre wear. It's, it's feel like it doesn't guarantee a good race and it can either go one of two ways. And I think it, it's just not uh, on the calendar. I think there are better, better races that could take its slot. Okay. Let's, let's just throw in something else quickly with Paul Ricard. Maybe it's not an issue as much with the track. Maybe it's an issue with which one of the hundreds of layouts that there are at Paul Ricard that we're using. So I, I don't know. I've seen some alternative layouts. I think one sort of almost removing that whole chicane at the first corner. I think they were originally supposed to do that in 2020. I heard remove that whole chicane, just have it as sort of like a more longer flow or go onto like the, the chicane at the back, which is a lot more longer, a lot more flowing. I know there's obviously the back straight as well. And there's discussions about how you, what track layout and what way you move around that little chicane at the back. I mean, I don't know. Is there a way that you can, change the layout of the track to make it better is it simply the case we're just racing on the wrong layout i think that there's definitely scope to change the layout 
there are alternatives, like you said, around the back straight and the first decade. It's definitely something that needs to be looked at because I think the changes that were made in Abu Dhabi uh, to the Yas Marina circuit this year did improve racing. And it's definitely something that should be done more often. The same in Bahrain because you've got the circuit is FAA grade one. Why not play with the different layouts to see what gives you the best result? Or just to keep it like slightly refreshing, right? Because we go to a lot of the same circuits, so let's just change the layout at the circuits. It seems it seems like a no-brainer to me. Do you know what I'm loving? All of your opinions on all of the tracks, Yas Marina, um, Paul Ricard as well, is everything opposite to Joe, which I think is up to create some spicy debate, hopefully. Um, Joe, very quickly, any last words on Paul Ricard before we? I ask you what tracks shouldn't be on the calendar? I'm I'm freely I will freely admit that just for if anyone who isn't aware I am in the minority opinion what a surprise the only thing I will say against Paul Ricard is that that chicane on the back straight does a lot of heavy lifting mm. I've driven that back straight in a lot of simulators and in GT cars that back straight is so long no joke Cam I was checking my emails for job rejections. <laughs> going down the back straight it is that goddamn long so whichever whichever configuration you use you desperately need the chicane on the back straight because as max verstappen proved against valtteri bottas you can overtake there although that is because bottas bottles it at every possible opportunity well i know maybe george russell might make that a different story next year but joe dylan doesn't like paul ricard where do you want to get f1 away from uh, Dylan, just quick question before I answer it. Was Cam alluding to the fact that you like Yas Marina? I don't think so, no. Uh, well, you said that you said that the, the improvements made the track better, which Joe has eviscerated that opinion on this podcast previously. I, I don't like Yas Marina, but I do think maybe it was just the tension of the sort of title contest that that made it better but i it's not one of my favorite i definitely think it shouldn't be the finale but uh we'll we'll see what uh joe thinks here well i agree with you that it shouldn't be the finale however i disagree in the sense that this is the track that i'm removing people would have guessed sochi but we're leaving sochi in a few <laughs> years anyway and going to agora drive which actually isn't much better um so that's not even worth considering we have a very long contract for yas marina not just for it to be on the calendar but for it to be the title deciding race which is just after the season we had last year, to have that borderline comatose excuse of a race until that last 20 laps is just inexcusable. Not more to the point, it was a bad... It, it, it's almost a cursed track. Like, it's so safe. The facilities are fantastic, and you have to give it credit for that. I actually quite like even the location being in you know, the harbour of um, the Gaz Marina itself, and the fact that it's in or near the capital of the country rather than the Dubai Autodrome, which, sorry Cam, isn't actually a very good track. The problem <laughs> is, it's awful for overtaking, and they got rid of all of the unique elements with these changes. Like, they got rid of that complex at the, uh, in, at the end of Sector 1, Turn 5 and 6 and 7, turned it into one hairpin, and, but there were fewer overtakes going into there than there had been with the old layout, which was apparently really bad for overtaking. Then you've got the complex, which was pretty poor to drive, but retroactively one of the most unique elements on the calendar. They got rid of it. To try and increase overtaking, they added a long, medium speed court. What is wrong with these designers? It made absolutely no sense. And now that the change is there, it doesn't actually make 
any sense to keep it on the calendar with cars that are even heavier, barely any smaller than the ones we've just had. And as I think I went through the stats on Cam's, uh, one of Cam's podcasts last year, this was the fewest amount of overtakes we've ever had in a race at Yas Marina, despite all the disruption to it. But above all else, I just hate the fact that it's the title decider. It doesn't necessarily need to be in Brazil. I would personally go for Suzuka as a title decider. A track like this does not deserve the prestige of being the final track on the calendar. Get rid of it. It is the worst track in the Middle East. And my God, is that saying something now? I mean, that is is—it's fair to say. Considering we got a taste of some Middle Eastern tracks, I think Losile, Jeddah last season being two that I think certainly Joe didn't like. I was fairly not a fan of either. I mean, yeah, as we I said previously, that section, that little triple chicane at the, at the end of the second back straight in the Asmarina, I thought was like the best bit of the track in terms of overtaking those two heavy braking zones at the end of the back straights used to really actually produce some decent overtaking opportunities in the past. Not great, but decent, especially with DRS. You then remove one of them and you create, again, a long sort of medium speed left-hander, which, as we have seen many times, unless it's Mugello turn one, is not conducive to overtaking. So, yeah, Yas Marino, I think the fact that it's a title decider doesn't really deserve to be the title decider. It's only there because it's got the money. And that really does frustrate me. But as a track, it's just, I don't know. It's not the worst track, perhaps, on the calendar, but it's one that we can certainly do without. And I don't think the changes did what they intended to do. And I don't know, maybe I just get Vietnam flashbacks whenever I think of that track now. But it really isn't my favourite. Dylan, I mean, you're not a fan of Yas Marina, but you're not as you're not as harsh on it, perhaps. So anything perhaps you'd want to add about Yas Marina? I think if you put it in the middle of the season people would hate it a lot less. And I feel like there are other tracks you can definitely take issue with more. That's not necessarily a like sort of glowing approval of this track being on the calendar. But I don't, it's not awful. There are some, I think the performance Perez put in, while maybe borderline dangerous at points, did show you can have some good racing on this circuit. And... I don't know. It definitely, like, again, we have multiple layouts we can play with, whether the ones they chose this year were better or not. There are some there. And, you know, it's, I feel like the change going around the track, you have the high, high speed straights and then you move into a more technical section towards the end. It's, it's an interesting setup. And I think maybe you can't disregard it completely. It shouldn't be the title decider, but it's, maybe better than some of the other circuits on the calendar. So I don't know if it'd be the first one I'd get rid of. I mean, what would you say to that, Joe? Because certainly I guess it's a characteristic that Tilka has carried in a lot of his tracks, long straights into some more technical sections later on. Yongam, I think, is another example of that. And Yongam, I wouldn't say, was a terrible circuit. So, I mean, what do you say to that? I think it just comes down to those changes. And I, th- I think, to be honest, in terms of track design, I do agree with Dylan. Like, when I first... I, I, I tell a lie when I first saw the design, <laughs> and I was far too young to understand the dynamics of racing at that point. But if you look at it on paper, it should be a decent track for racing. Like, it's 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 pretty wide, at least relative to, um, relative to some of the classic tracks that Tilka hasn't had a chance to ruin. I mean, it's not as wide as Sepang, but then again, absolutely nothing is. My average motorway is not as wide as Sepang is. So... 
yeah, that, that it should work. Like the long straights going into braking zones, the double DRS along the back. Yeah, it should work. But the evidence is overwhelmingly clear now. It doesn't. I Even I can't quite explain how. And in an attempt to remedy things, they made them even worse. And they've chopped about 12, 14 seconds a lap off this track. In an era where you're trying to attract more and more teams to Formula One, thus you need more space in terms of facilities and on-track space for them, why is there this push to make tracks shorter? We're going to get to the point with these tracks and the increasing speed of the cars that we're not even going to have room for another two teams on the grid. Burn Yas Marina. <laughs> I mean, at least Agora Drive, they're making some effort to lengthen the track, ruining the track in the process, but lengthening it. So we'll give them something. Um, I'm going to come in with mine now. Um, Catalonia is an absolute disaster that does not deserve a space on the calendar. Now, I actually think Catalonia does have some merits. As a track, it has pretty much every element of every kind of test that a Formula One car would face. You have the long straights, you have the medium speed corners, you have some of the slower speed corners as well. You have some pretty high speed corners. Well, I mean, camp. I feel if you can do that track where you've got Campsa, you've got um, that whole technical section in sector three, you've got the long straights to test the straight line speed of the car. Catalonia has everything that you really need to test the car out. And that is why when we go to Catalonia, a lot of the, the grids and the kind of the speed that's that we can, the pace of the cars is done usually dependent on actually how fast and how good the cars are. 2012 aside, of course. But that is the the way that that kind of comes out is just because you're testing the Formula One cars on everything. So in that sense, it's a good track. The problem is racing in Catalonia is terrible. And I think... Loads of it comes down, I think, to the fact that you're coming off this really technical sector three into the really the only overtaking spot at turn one. And you just have the dirty air from the cars completely undermining any opportunity to use a DRS onto that main straight. The chicane is the worst thing I have seen. Well, I, I don't know. There are some terrible things in Formula One. That chicane is probably the worst. And... It just completely, again, kills the rhythm, undermines the momentum. You go into that back straight, you're having already having issues following the cars. I mean, just going through turn three, you know, turn three and four, these, again, these really challenging medium to high speed corners, but the dirty air coming off the cars is just impossible. And even every regulation change that we've had has not made overtaking easier. You, hey, you have DRS, but you shouldn't be relying on DRS to make overtaking easier. And frankly... I think, and I have said this for a long, long time, Catalonia serves as a perfect testing venue. If you're going to test your Formula One cars in late February, early March, it serves as a perfect opportunity to test the cars, but not as a racetrack. Do a race. If you're going to race in the Mediterranean, that part of the world, do a race in Portimao. If you want to race in Spain, maybe go to Valencia. See if you can do Jerez or another track or build some kind of new venue. But, Barcelona serves as a perfect testing venue, put, maybe put more promo into the testing because I think for a lot of fans, testing is not something they watch. It's not something they engage with. If FOM and Liberty were to turn around and make that much more of a spectacle, then maybe the Spanish would, wouldn't feel aggrieved at losing a Grand Prix and losing it as well to Portugal, which I really think it should go to Portimao. So yeah, that's, that's my Catalonia mode. 
I really, really just don't like the track as a racing venue, even though I see its merits in terms of testing the cars, in terms of pushing them to limits. Joe, we, you've watched many Spanish Grand Prix over the years. Can you ever recall an exciting one in your time? Do you Have you forgotten 2012? We had two really exciting <laughs> races in Spain that year, one of which was around this track. We also had a massive fire in the garage, very convenient after Williams managed to win with their pay driver, but that was an exciting race. Okay, one in 30 years then. Look, I'm sure there are others as well. I mean, the thing for me is that there are Spain actually has, I think, four grade one venues, which is really crazy. I think the only other country that has that many is Italy, which is why the 2020 calendar was so burgeoned by Italian venues. And yet I don't actually think many of them are that popular. It's a, it's a market that despite Carlos Sainz and Fernando Alonso being on the grid, you could probably miss actually. Like if you were going to get rid of some of the European venues, at least commercially, Spain would probably be one of them. I've defended this track a little bit in the past. I'm not going to defend the RACC chicane. You said it's one of the worst things in Formula One. No, it is the worst corner section in Formula One. That is the reason why overtaking into turn one is so bad, because that front straight is actually fantastic, but there's just everything about that chicane is horrible in a Formula One car with a great with massive amounts of mechanical and aero grip and turns on a dime. Going through there in a GT car is actual pain. It is so bad. Why they can't just use the MotoGP layout or cross over the section, I've, I really don't know. This is going to be, above all other tracks on the calendar, the one where these new aero re- regulations are going to be tested. If, if the amount of dirty, eight com- dirty air coming off the back of these cars is anywhere near some of the pessimistic figures we've seen recently, we may not see the racing at Catalonia improve and the track might be beyond saving in Formula 1. I'm of the opinion that you know, in Formula 3 and Formula 2 we get good races, but that's because the cars are smaller. This new regulation change does not make the cars smaller. There. Yeah, and I think that's the... Um... That's the key point with Catalonia. It's just, it, I, it, we've, it's been a more pronounced problem in the last two years, definitely. But even like, remember, I think going back to 2008, there were two overtakes on that track and it just really wasn't a good race. There was nothing about it that I was like, yeah, you know, I'm really enjoying Catalonia. It's just, um, yeah, it's really not a good track. I want to hear, though, Dylan, your thoughts. Catalonia. I mean, Joe may be a bit more optimistic, that last chicane aside, but what are your thoughts on it? Thinking about it, Cam, given all the reasons you've mentioned, I think there's a clear case for getting rid of this track. I think you're convincing me. I'm looking at the stats here. Only four of the 20 races at this track from 2001 have been won by someone that wasn't on pole. That's not a great record at all like there have been some good races i remember max verstappen's first race in the red bull that was quite impressive obviously but take out the mercedes crashing at turn four yeah would it have been so impressive probably not but was it a memorable race definitely and i think sort of last year's race was pretty good maybe not by the standard of the rest of the season but it was a decent race And then going on to sort of looking at the other Spanish venues, I think you're definitely right. Valencia was an amazing track. There was a brilliant race there in 2012. We should definitely be looking at 
racing there again. It was one of my favorite tracks while it was on the calendar. But from 2013, they were supposed to alternate every year between Catalonia and Valencia, Hmm. but that never happened due to financial reasons, which I think is a real shame. But yeah, to be racing at this circuit since 1991 and not considering any of the other Spanish venues to host a Spanish Grand Prix, it seems like a missed opportunity. Well, I think it's fair to say Catalonia is not a favourite. It would be interesting if they removed that chicane we went back to the old layout. Maybe that would save the track. I don't know. It's not a great one. Well, let's move away from pessimism now. Let's add a track to the calendar. Let's look at all of the racing stock in the world and ask ourselves, what can we do to make it better? So, Joe, I'll come to you first again this time give us a track that you would like to add to the calendar see i've been so contrarian so far and uh, there are loads of tracks that i've always wanted in formula one i will give an honorable mention because market market or not i really want an argentine grand prix at potrero de los funes that's one of my favorite tracks and i think with some moderate changes that could be a really really good f1 venue but i'm going to go more mainstream just to make sure this gets in here because i know you really like this cam and i'm probably taking it from you i'm thinking about the complexion of the season late on get rid of Yas Marina. But if we're in Asia for that section to bump out the calendar in Maritime Southeast Asia, go back to Sepang. That is the venue that I always use to defend Herman Tilke. It just works. It has always worked. Even if it's bone dry, people say you need wet weather sometimes to make a great race. And in Malaysia, you very often get wet weather but it works even without it. Like the, it, There is so much space for wheel-to-wheel racing. It's not even about overtaking because there's plenty of like medium-speed corners and switchbacks where it's difficult to pull moves off. As a driving challenge, it is right up there. It's incredibly fun to watch as well as to drive around virtually. Um, the racing there is usually great. You get a lot of strategy intrigue there as well because so much of it's really high degradation. It's really safe. You said it in the past when we the first time we ever met Cam. It's a travesty that it went off the calendar. I know there are financial reasons, but c- come on, it's the best thing Herman Tilke has ever done. Yeah, I mean, I love um, I love Sepang. I've said this many times, and there, it is such travesty because, as you said, you always get good racing in Sepang. I mean, this is the archetype. If Tilke designed every track like this as an archetypical Tilke track, then we'd be singing his praises as the greatest designer that's ever come into formula one you get the wet weather that throws a bit of action into the race occasionally you get many overtaking opportunities those two long straights that back straight and then the main pit straight straight after as well are really good opportunities it's very easy as well for cars to follow i think it was almost it's almost a bit of a travesty that we didn't see this current generation of cars go around sepang because i genuinely believe sure there were issues with dirty air and following other cars but there were enough braking zones in Sepang there was enough I would say particularly the two long straights you bring DRS into the equation I still think we would have got some really good races here and I think in at a time where we were didn't get loads of races where we had great racing per se we needed something like a safety car to spice it up I still think this track would have given us some great racing I mean I can remember even the race we did have you know Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton having a massive tussle in that Malaysian Grand Prix that year. So yeah, I love Sepang and I feel like, I mean, Sepang's a great one because you can put it at the start or the end of the season as well. It's one you can easily move around. 
depending on if you have to a massive collection of races at the start or end that you kind of have to put together. And of course, I remember the old Sepang Singapore double header, and I guess it's it's Singapore's fault. As much as I do really like Singapore, it is kind of Singapore's fault that we're not racing in Sepang anymore. But I would love to see as a track. I would love to see it back on the calendar. Dylan, anything to add from yourself? It's a brilliant track. I agree with you both. It should be on the calendar. It's a race that I've always enjoyed watching. Like you said, it's fun to watch. It's fun to race virtually. It's just got that something special that makes a good F1 track. And credit for Tilka for doing that in this particular instance. But... I I can't disagree with either of you on any of the points you've made because it's been host to some brilliant races, some iconic season-defining moments along the years, and to see it back on the calendar would definitely be a sort of credit to the calendar itself. And to have that, it fits either if you go for a long run at the start in Asia or at the end. Either way, it works. It should be there, and it fits quite well. Okay, Dylan, what about yourself now? Give us a track you want to see back on the calendar. Oh, there's definitely a few I could go for, but I think the one that I enjoy watching the most is maybe Turkey. I think that should be on the calendar. It's just slightly different to other tracks. It's anti-clockwise. It's just that sweeping first corner is very nice. Turn eight, very fast. It's just pleasing to watch and it can produce some great racing as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it was great to have Istanbul Park back the last couple of years, I think. It's a driving challenge. The drivers have always said it's one of their favourites. And again, maybe it's this, it's this thing about permanent racing venues that Tilke has designed. When he gets it right, you know, Istanbul Park, Sepang, Kota, you really see the drivers raving about it. And I mean, Turn 8, obviously, the four apex Turn 8 is one of the biggest challenges in Formula 1 speed. Um, you know, going through that flat out, particularly some of these new cars as well, 5Gs as well. It's a very real driver's challenge. But even so, there's still a lot of opportunities for good racing and overtaking. That back straight, obviously, going into turn 12, perhaps the main overtaking zone, but down the pit straight as well. We've seen some really good racing in the past, even going down on the uphill section out of turn one. There's no... Sure, there's some technical sections of the track, but unlike other Tilka tracks, say in... Abu Dhabi or Yongan, for example, there's none of that kind of twisty technical section that means that you lose time to the cars behind. That means you're struggling with dirty air later on when you get to these overtaking zones. So yeah, it is a very well-designed track. And again, I think money has played a part as to what has not been on the calendar, but certainly perhaps I think it's been shown if COVID does have an impact on the calendar this year, which hopefully it doesn't, I think Istanbul Park will be one of the first tracks that F1 will turn to. But even so, I think there's a place for this track on the calendar because it is a, it's a fan favourite as well. But it's a fan favourite for the good reasons. And I think that's really, really good about it. Joe, anything for else you want to add about Istanbul Park? Because I know this is a track that you have you know, been very high in its praises of in the past. Yeah, Dylan and I are boys again. I approve this selection. Um, there's so much about it I really like. Like the elevation changes are one of the really underrated things about it. Like the fact, I don't think turn one would be very good if you weren't going down after it. But mm. my God, you go down so much and then you kind of immediately back up again. Like the beginning of sector two, which on, on a map doesn't look particularly good. But when you're the elevation changes are so stark, it just works so well going up that hill and into the, um, the quad left at turn eight. 
the one thing I will say about it, first of all, actually, the technical section you speak about, Cam, I'm really glad you mentioned it because people say slow, twisty bits in Formula One don't really work. Well, the final few corners at Istanbul are proof that that's just a load of nonsense. They're really good, not only as a driving challenge and as a bit of catharsis after that really long, awesome back straight, but you can race through there as well, as Lewis Hamilton and Sergio Perez proved just a few months ago. The one thing I will say, and this is entirely outside the actual track design, so it's not a criticism of the pick at all, um, a motorsport journalist friend of mine, Ed Spencer, went to the Turkish Grand Prix last year not only was getting to the track really difficult, despite the fact it's quite close to Istanbul, but the organisation and atmosphere there apparently was just really, really bad. Like, it just been so badly done. Maybe that's got something to do um, with the fact it was a temporary venue. He also said the surrounding area is far from scenic, like stray dogs running around the place everywhere. I think it's Turkey where we've had stray dogs on the track in yeah. um, free practice in the past. So there's plenty of work to be done, but if it was a permanent venue, I'm sure it would be possible. Um, so yeah, I, but I've got no issue with the track itself. It's actually quite unique as well, not just because it's anti-clockwise. I approve this selection. And I approve as well. And I guess for me as well, if I was to add a track to the calendar, I mean, the thing is there's so... There's so many venues I could add. And obviously, Joe and I have spoken a lot and disagreed a lot about Kyle Army being added to the calendar in the past. And I obviously things I do want to race in Africa. And I think it's a great track. And I'm sure I'm sure we can talk about Kyle Army in a race in Africa in another episode, because there is one track. In fact, one country that I think has to be on the F1 calendar that isn't. And it shocks me that we're not. And that track is Hockenheim in Germany. And I, I said this previously, I remember when we did Lewis Hamilton's best 100 races, and we just, you know, we were talking loads about German Grand Prix. We were talking about loads of races in Hockenheim and the Nürburgring and just saying, well, the racing here has been good. Lewis Hamilton's shown his racecraft because he's had the opportunity to do it. And the fact that, you know, Germany, a country esteemed in motorsport heritage, doesn't have a place on the F1 calendar it stuns me. And then again, we talk about F1 tracks that Tilke has ruined. He's kind of taken the design. And look, the old Hockenheim ring was a great challenge, but it wasn't a 21st century Formula One track. The barriers were too close to the track for the speeds that the cars were going at. It was difficult to really just even watch the race because you're in the middle of an intense forest. It's not easy to follow the cars. The new Hockenheim ring, I really like the track. Again, Plenty of opportunities to overtake that going into the hairpin on that long straight there. You've got that really good section after the hairpin going into sort of turn eight, going into the stadium section as well. Again, the stadium section, another example of a slow technical section that works in Formula One. There's so many fantastic opportunities to race and overtake on that track. And again, just the fact that the track is good, but then we don't even have a race in Germany as well. With all the motorsport heritage it's got, with the fact that, you know, if you look at the 22 Formula One World Championships this century, nine of the, 10 of them even have been won by Germans. So that says, that I feel says pretty much everything you need to know about the fact that we need a German Grand Prix. And considering I remember at the start of last decade, a quarter to a third of the grid were German. To now not have a German Grand Prix just stuns me. And to not have a track as good as Hockenheim on the calendar. Now, I do think I want to race at Kyle Army, but I think I want a race in Hockenheim more. I mean, Joe, 
we've discussed this many times. The fact that we need to have a race at Hockenheim on the calendar. Just what are your thoughts on that? And why do you think we're just not going to Hockenheim and not having that conversation about German Grand Prix anymore? Um, well, I think the answer to that last question is quite simple. It will all come down to the financials of it. It was already slightly worrying that we were alternating between the Nürburgring and Hockenheim. Not that I was complaining about the Nürburgring back then, but the fact we were alternating kind of indicated that the financial commitment perhaps wasn't there. And then, of course, we lost the Nürburgring and after that Hockenheim as well. I will pick up on something though, Cam. Uh, nine of the last nine this century, no sorry, 10 this century. Someone forgot that Nico Rosberg was champion in 2016. <laughs> I tried to forget that. Um, but yeah, I'm, not only do I agree with you, and I, I've said already, we could potentially lose the French market and definitely the Spanish market, despite the driver presence from there. It makes no sense to me that we don't have a race in Germany, like the country of Auto Union, BMW, Daimler. It just makes no sense not to have a race there but you chose correctly of the two. Hockenheim works. More to the point, not only does Hockenheim work, new Hockenheim works. I'm so Mm. sick of people criticising what Tilke has done to this track. The number one thing he did to this place was improve the atmosphere because old Hockenheim, ask anyone that used to go there, especially back in the 60s and 70s, was miserable. The mist hanging in the trees, the chicanes down the backstretch. It was just, it was the, I think I'm quoting an old Lotus mechanic. He said, it's the kind of race you just want to go to, get it done and go home. Not the case anymore. Hockenheim's fun. It's open. The stadium section, so much better than the one in Mexico. It just works. By comparison to Nürburgring, which is a good track by all means, but as I discovered recently, it's really narrow. Like, especially around Very. Two, the track is, hmm. you, you do not, you do not see just how narrow that place is until you try it for yourself. Um, Hockenheim does not have that problem. For that simple reason, track width and the current size of these cars, you pick Hockenheim over Nürburgring. But again, good choice, Cam. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the kind of race, it, almost when you have that middle part of the season, and it's not like there are necessarily bad tracks in the middle part of the season, although maybe I would say Dylan would replace Paul Ricard with Hockenheim potentially. But I would say in terms of, I guess, we will be talking about classic tracks in a bit, but traditional racing venues, you have this really good section kind of June, July, September, which I feel Hockenheim kind of slots perfectly into in that regard. And again, it's Germany. It's the home of so many motorsport institutions, just like the ones that Joe was naming there. I mean, Dylan, Three from three, put Hockenheim back on the calendar. Definitely. You're completely right. It fits in that middle section perfectly. Maybe at the expense of Paul Ricard, I might argue, but it's definitely something that should be on the calendar just for the motorsport heritage. And the, like you said, such a big proportion of German drivers over the recent years. And yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. It's the better of the two. It's slightly more entertaining. And like you said, with the current cars, it makes more sense. So I I just think, yeah, you're both spot on. Right. Before we move on to the next section, I just have one more track. And this one's not a should it. Well, it is a should it shouldn't be on the calendar. But I'm going to ask you whether it should or shouldn't be on the calendar. This was the one I was alluding to Um earlier on and it's quite a it's one that has caused intense debate amongst formula one fans it is almost when you think of formula one it is a race that is synonymous with the name in itself but it's one where the quality of racing every year despite all the glitz despite all the glamour 
you always get the question, should it still be on the calendar? Dylan, Joe, Monaco. Should we still have the Monaco Grand Prix? Dylan, let's come to you first. What do you think? I had a feeling this question would be coming at some point. And it's it's a valid question. While there is the history behind it, and it's a very, very nice sort of locale to have a race in, the harbour is stunning. Is the quality of racing that good? I'm not sure. And when the calendar is so packed, does it still deserve its space? Maybe you could swap it out and have it as like a press event, a feature, something like that. I don't know. I'm, I struggle with this because qualifying is always very impressive, mm-hmm. but then you come to the actual race. But I guess you could say that of lots of tracks on the, on the calendar. So it's where you pay, place that balance, I think. But I do think maybe if these cars are getting any wider, we need to look at if we can widen the circuit, which is obviously something that's very difficult to do. Stop driving through people's front rooms. Exactly. So there's, there's not much scope for change, but the cars are going to change. So it's, it's a tricky one for me, whether you just had it as like a press event, a fan event, maybe that's a solution, but there is something about qualifying in Monaco that is very special. I mean, maybe perhaps Monaco serves a purpose when it was the only street track on the calendar or the other street tracks on the calendar were dire American street tracks with 90 left rights all the time. But now you've got a wider variety of street tracks. Baku following on not long from after. And in many people's opinions now, a far better track venue and race than Monaco. You have Singapore, which is, again, a very popular street track on the calendar as well. We are seeing street tracks popping up in the Middle East. We've got Miami as well now. Does Monaco, Joe, serve the same purpose as it used to? Because I would say it doesn't in that regard. Monaco serves a purpose in the sense of Valtteri Bottas clinking a glass of Heineken traditions. That's it. And it doesn't it's and it doesn't assist the case of this track that whenever you ask people, you know, you ask anyone se- senior in Formula One like David Coulthard or otherwise in the media side about Monaco, they just say, Oh, you can't get rid of it, it's the jewel in the crown, you know, we have to race there. Well, why? Traditions, we've always raced. That's not an answer. That is not in any way an answer. We have to put a new steering column on these cars every time we go there just to get around the Fairmont hairpin. That's not normal. We have to run the cars with so much more ride height. That's not normal. More aero than anywhere else. That's not normal. You have to bend to this track so much. I know, like, we're not talking about travel sustainability, but in terms of components, parts, gear ratios even, the track just doesn't work. And the truth is, if you look back at the Monaco races that people remember, the ones you'll find highlights for that they really like... 1996, 1982, others, no one finished them. They're literally mm. just remembered because so many drivers retired and you got a crazy result, Panis or Patrese winning. It's just, that's the only appeal there. But sometimes it works when it's wet, but you can barely see where you're going if it's particularly heavy rain. I've toyed with the idea of doing a sort of Olympic-style qualifying super sprint if that makes sense where you send each car through. maybe you just do one session a day i'm not sure but you send the cars through and they have three times to try and three rounds rather to get the best time and then you award points from that weekend because the salient point is this track does not work 
for racing, and it hasn't done for a very long time. It's one of the few on the calendar that you can't blame this generation of cars for. It was the worst race of last year, the worst moment of TV direction of last year as well. We had zero non-first lap racing overtakes at the Monaco Grand Prix last year. That's simply not excusable. Yeah, I mean, you see, I quite like the glitz and the glamour and the history. And I think, again, it feeds into another little debate as well. I mean, I, you see, unpopular opinion, I would keep Monaco on the calendar. Now, I, I acknowledge that there are massive flaws in Monaco, but I, I do think it has a place. It, it's not, it's an uncomfortable place, not for the racing per such, but it has a place on the calendar. There is the history behind it. There is all of the glitz and the glamour. I think traditions you know traditions you can move beyond but i think sometimes there are just some traditions that you can't really necessarily let go of and i think monaco is just that one tradition now i acknowledge it's a pain and it's not a great pain for teams to have but i don't know there's just something about monaco that doesn't make me want to leave it and even as a lewis hamilton fan where he has a bad record in monaco i don't know Dylan, you're on the edge of your seat. You, do you just want to submit my opinion to the hell? I think Joe's right. It doesn't serve a purpose in terms of racing. You may like the glitz and the glamour. You can do the glitz and the glamour without having a race in Monaco. The sprint races we've seen this year have moved away from traditional points, giving sort of just races only. We could move to what Formula E do in their previous qualifying format, where you have rounds of drivers and they compete to set the fastest time to go into a shootout. You could award points from that 10 down to one for the top 10 cars. I think that would maybe be a way to get what's good about Monaco across while not having to sit there for two hours on a Sunday and watch some very poor TV direction from a one-off TV director. It doesn't make sense. So I think you can do service to what Monaco is without having a race there. Okay, Joe, last word on this section. Yeah, it's it's like, well, I'm, I'm not saying burn it off the calendar altogether. I'm saying they're always trying to mess with the format. They're always trying to do something new. If you want Monaco to mean something, to be something special for these new fans who quite frankly can recognise it for the car park that it is, do something different with it. You know, like that qualifying thing that I've suggested or what Dylan just did. Like, if there's any venue where you're going to do something fancy, make it Monaco because the races simply don't deliver. Keep it on the calendar by all means. I'm, I'm with you, Cam. Like, the, the history of the place, the financial incentive for going there, there's a reason we still race at Monaco. But, you know, you also have to acknowledge, and I'm sure that you do, by the way, objectively speaking, this is one of the weirdest tracks we've ever raced at in Formula 1. It's right up there. It's right up there with Avus, Pescara. Like there are there are very few racetracks that we've ever been to in Formula One that are weirder than Monaco. Why not celebrate it? Well, maybe if in in that line, if we are celebrating a track as weird as Monaco coming back onto the calendar, then maybe maybe we should have been making the case for Avus coming back onto the calendar. Okay, let's not let's not be stupid. Move on. (laughs) Well, I mean, I have seen I've seen some of the sim races driving F1 cars on Arvis. Indeed, I think you try and put DRS on on that banking, the car will literally fly off. But speaking of flying off and flying away, perhaps something new has come into Formula 1 in recent years, destination races, something that Liberty Media are keen to push. We'll be talking about them very shortly.
right, now, um, classic tracks versus destination races. This is the debate that is really illuminating a lot of discussion of how we should compose the calendar. Now, I hear you ask, what is a classic track? What is a destination race? Well, one, one is a lot easier to explain than the other. The classic tracks, these are the tracks that have been on the calendar from the very start. Those that have been synonymous with F1 development over the years. We've had some changes, of course, but these are the tracks that many people say are undroppable. You can't remove them. We've debated Monaco. Many people regard that as a classic track that can't be dropped. Maybe the format could be changed, but tracks like Spa, Silverstone, Suzuka, Monza, tracks that are by their very nature undroppable. But we've seen in recent years this move from firstly from Bernie Eccleston's time at um, FOM, but also now Liberty Media towards the destination race. Building a new track in a nice city, in a new market for Formula One, building a complete, almost building a whole aura around the weekend, building an event as much as building a Grand Prix weekend and a Grand Prix racetrack. You know, so we've seen, for example, in Singapore, the archetypical example of this, the first night race in Formula One, a good track, but loads of entertainment on and off the track as well. Big names coming to the track. And we've seen that increasingly become the model. Liberty's kind of first attempt at this was Hanoi. Of course, Hanoi got ended by many, many issues of its own making. And to be fair, the fact it was probably quite a terrible track as well. Um, but Miami is the first of these destination races that Liberty is starting off with this year. And it's an interesting one because we're seeing a real debate in Formula One over bringing back classic tracks in these new races because we have seen in the last decade, I would say, as well as some new venues coming onto the calendar and new markets obviously going to Russia, for example, for the first time in the last decade, perhaps consolidating the Formula One presence in the US more so than we ever had in the past in Formula One. And then, of course, going to Korea, India and having them kind of fall off the calendar after a few years. We had seen the return of some classic tracks. We mentioned Paul Ricard earlier, also the Red Bull ring, you know, a favourite of many fans and drivers coming back onto the calendar last year in the last decade. So, in this whole debate, it seems Liberty wants to push towards destination races, but are they making the right choice there? Joe, I want to come to you first on this one because we complained about the Miami car park quite a lot. But the Miami car park bit aside, do you think the model that Liberty are going for in terms of attracting fans, in terms of building a good racetrack, do you think that works? The truth is we won't know the answer to this for a few years. We need to see the economic returns of especially Miami. And if we have a track in, God forbid, Las Vegas, because I imagine oh. if you have, in that case, you have three US Grand Prix, one for the West, one for the Central, one for the East. You're attracting an awful lot of markets there. It's In terms of North-South, it's largely biased towards the South, but the American Midwest, good luck building a track in Montana, <laughs> so it's fine. Um, the thing that worries me, and it seems a really weird comment in the context of Formula One's almost inevitable growth at the moment, is that we have banked on this kind of growth before and it hasn't worked out. So what I've described in the past as the most 2006 idea of all time, the Yongam street circuit in Korea, which wasn't a street circuit. You don't build a track around a city, you build a city around the track that's already existed what an arrogant early 21st century idea that was. And of course, it was completely destroyed by the recession that followed. I just worry the same thing is going to happen with these kind of venues, because in the context of, you know, one of two things can happen. One, we do what we've done in Miami, which is build a track, 
nowhere near the center of Miami. It's just in the car park of the Hard Rock Stadium. You know, it's 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 Hollywood. It's not even close to the center of that city, but it's called the Miami Grand Prix. So in terms of a destination venue, it doesn't actually work that well anyway. Or you do something like you're trying to do in the Middle East, which is build a destination in Doha or specifically um, Qadir, which is where they're building this new Saudi track. We have just come off, well, we're still in a worldwide pandemic. We haven't had the overwhelming global economic catastrophe that we could have had, but it could still be on the horizon. And I just do not see how these long contracts for tracks that don't even exist and destination venues for places that aren't even destinations make sense. Like people say, oh, build a street circuit in the middle of New York or or Paris or whatever, if you're going to build a track in Paris, it wouldn't be around the bits that people knew. It would be in the 20th arrondissement and people would stop going there after two years. I just I just don't buy this model. I mean, it's an interesting one because we've heard the model be used in Europe before. So London, there's always been talk of a London Grand Prix. And I remember there was, I think, about a decade ago, there was this thing that Lewis Hamilton Jensen Button did where they were advertising a London Grand Prix day out, going through... Battersea, going down the mall, going down all these really flash bits of London. I was just thinking, yeah, can you imagine Formula One cars driving under the arch from the mall under to Trafalgar Square? That is almost like trying to drive Formula One cars through the Brandenburg Gate. It's just not possible. So, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one because the destination race model, perhaps London aside, hasn't really been something conceived of in Europe. But it's something that's conceived as central to North America, something conceived of growing Formula One in the Middle East and Asia as well. Interestingly, not in Latin America, where arguably, I don't know, if you were going, if you had to move away from Interlagos, for example, I don't know, I reckon you could have a pretty good street track around Rio. I think you could probably, for Argentina, maybe have a very good track somewhere around Buenos Aires, for example. I mean, there's... There's a lot of things, I think, to really feed into this here. Dylan, I want to know what you think on this whole destination race model, because there have been examples, particularly Singapore, where you could say it's worked. But I don't know, is it too early, as Joe is saying, to kind of evaluate how good it's been until we see more evidence of this? I think there's definitely... Uh, with Miami, it's, again, you're creating a destination race outside of the actual destination. It doesn't make sense. I don't see how it's going to work. I think if the track's good and it creates good racing, I don't know. It's all built on the fact that you're going to grow an audience there. But if you're hosting a Grand Prix, that audience should be there already, right? So if in Singapore, you know, people will go and watch. If you host a Grand Prix in Las Vegas, Miami, are you going to get the F1 fans to turn out? I'm not, not actually sure you will which I think is what concerns me. And if the racing isn't the main event, if you have to host a big concert and to get a load of people in to watch the race, is that really what you want to be doing? It sort of maybe takes away from what should be at the heart of a racing weekend. And it has worked in Singapore. I'll give credit to that for, you know, it has worked in some places. I think looking at the Formula E calendar, they race in big cities, They've done, they're doing Diria this weekend. They did London not so long ago. They've done Bern. It's created some good racing, but 
you're not going to fit a Formula One car in the same space in the Formula One. I mean, isn't Formula redesigned for that very purpose, though? Exactly, but you're still not pulling in the big audiences that you think would be. You would be, and while you know London, maybe you could because there's a pre-existing Formula One sort of fan base here. I think if you're going across to cities where it's not as well known, then you won't get the same reception, and I could see that being a definite problem. Well, let's throw the classic tracks back into this now, because if there's anything that the COVID pandemic has shown us, classic tracks are pretty good. And bringing them back onto the calendar is quite a good thing. And actually, they're quite popular with fans. Without 2020, I think 2020 probably re-intensified a lot of this discussion because, for example, Imola coming back onto the calendar. Imola has become, uh, is always a track that, you know, F1 fans loved historically, but having it back on the calendar and introducing it to a new generation of fans has been a really, you know, really popular move. And it's a reason why Imola is still on the calendar next year. You know, Portimao has had generally a good reception from fans. The same with Istanbul Park as well. You know, there's a lot of tracks that could be on the calendar and as 2020 showed as well, particularly if you're doing races in the Mediterranean as well, you can do races in Spain, Portugal and Italy into late October, early November. The weather conditions may not be perfect, but the climate does allow you to do it. So when will we have this push? So, and I know F1's a world championship and you have to be racing all around the world. And there are tracks you mentioned already, Sepang being the most obvious one that you can have outside of Europe that you probably want to bring back onto the calendar. But why, when it comes to new races, in Formula One, why is it always new destination races being suggested over classic tracks? Dylan, I mean, obviously, I know money is one um, one object there, but if money wasn't an object, do you think we would still be going to these destination races over the classic tracks? No, I think these classic races aren't just classic because we've been to them lots of times. They're classics because they produce good races every mm. time, and that's their appeal. Is Yes, there's a sort of historical legacy, but that comes from the good racing, right? So Mm. I think they're classics because they're good and that's where we should be going. What about yourself, Joe? Because obviously some of these new tracks have been good. We can't fault that necessarily. You've mentioned Sepang, Bahrain, another track that's come into the Kansas recently and been very popular. So I don't know, because I feel like Singapore is an interesting one because I feel like Singapore is the model for what a good destination race could be. But do you think that maybe we do need to have more of a push towards more classic tracks, perhaps? The unfortunate truth is, as we've discovered, we've discovered more through analysis and experiences that a lot of these classic tracks really don't work for Formula One, Mm. at least not with the modern cars. Nürburgring was kind of okay. We got away with it to an extent, but it is too narrow. I'm not going to get into my whole thing on Kyle Army here. I want there to be be two races in Africa, but neither of them will be at Kyle Army. Let's put it that way, because it, I mean... Actually, to be honest, if you're going to, if you're going to upgrade Kyle Army, it'll probably still work better than Zandvoort, but you need a Dutch Grand Prix at least at this particular period in Formula One history. You know, I'm I'm completely fine with the idea of building these new venues. Like most of the places that I want to go, realistically, would have to be street circuits, and I actually see a lot of if if a lot of countries in Europe, in particular France, above all else, if you want to keep the French Grand Prix surviving for years and years it won't be at Paul Ricard because it's so difficult to get to and it's not particularly popular. It would be a street circuit 
probably in the 20th R&D small of Paris or something like that. But um, yeah, it, it, it does it does concern me. Um, what I will say though is that people saying, oh, we can't go back to these tracks because of money. It's really difficult to organise these races. Well, the last couple of years proves that that really isn't the case. You know, even with temporary organisation and what I said earlier about Istanbul, we still got an actual race that ran off more or less without a hitch. Um, and a very well-deserved win for Valtteri Bottas. So in terms of the availab- like availability of classic tracks isn't as high as some people say, but if they're there, putting them on is actually a lot easier than you'd think. Yeah, particularly as well as their actual racetracks and not street circuits, which I mean, not to disparage street circuits, because street circuits have their value, but they are they do take time to assemble. They do require a lot more handiwork. You see the preparation that goes into Monaco, into Baku, as well so Dylan I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add on that yeah I think that Joe is right in what he's saying that the sort of parameters of what Formula One looks like at the moment means that building new circuits in these destinations is maybe the only way to get some races in these locations but I also think that that's not a concern in itself we've seen Baku that's a good circuit. It produces good racing. The castle section is beautiful. It's an impressive track and it's a brand new track that's been built. So I don't think that it's, you know, every destination track is going to be a bad track. I think it's maybe not as clear cut as that, but there's potential for both. And I don't think you can, you know, discount either the classic tracks. You have to make the considerations and it's the same with the modern tracks, the new tracks. But I think what makes a good track is not whether it has classic status or whether it's a destination status. It's the sort of quality of the racing we get when we get there. And so many other factors as well, like the transport and things like that. Yeah, maybe as well, just on the whole point of F1 fans loving classic tracks, maybe for a new generation of F1 fans as well, these destination races, you know, bringing new fans into Formula 1, not just obviously new fans accessing new markets for Formula 1, but... Potentially for, I don't know, the Netflix generation of F1 fans having these new tracks and these glitzy venues. It's a spectacle. And maybe, I don't know, if you're getting into Formula 1 for the first time, you need a bit of a spectacle to get into it, to grip you in. And then you can read more about the history and understand why these classic tracks are just so good. Maybe I'm just taking from the Michael Massey playbook of spectacles right now. But certainly, it's it's a rumbling debate. So I guess to finish off this a little bit classic tracks destination races and we've couldn't maybe look into the calendar a bit more widely as well here if there was anywhere right now any market that you feel f1 could put a destination race and either you could almost say put a destination race around building a classic track because technically you could argue that liberty have tried to turn cota into a destination race but if there was anywhere or any market that you feel right now Formula One maybe needs to tap into for that destination race model. I know I've mentioned Kyle Army a lot, but I feel if Formula One was to do a race in South Africa in Kyle Army, frame that as a destination race, I feel that's the way to really, for example, re-engage Africa in Formula One. I think that kind of format, I think, could work quite well. Now, Kyle Army may not produce the best racing, but the whole model, perhaps, of a destination race, of the spectacle maybe more over the track, may be necessary to re-engage African fans in Formula 1, particularly, not saying they're not engaged, but to at least have a race there. Joe, 
What about yourself on this? I've already hinted at a couple of honourable mentions. I, I, it really bothers me that we only have one race in South America. I know the market isn't huge, but there's enough of a history in Argentina specifically to race there. Buenos Aires isn't suitable anymore, and we certainly can't use any of the Formula E venues, much though I love Punta del Este down in Uruguay. But Petrodo de los Funes, like I've said earlier, if mm. you can get Zandvoort up to Grade 1 certification, you can get that place up to Grade 1, and it's a hell of a lot more scenic. You literally go around a lake. And it's Argentina. It's a beautiful country country um north africa is the one that really excites me partly because getting there at least in terms of distance is a lot easier than a lot of the venues in in southeast asia that people are suggesting um algiers is my particular pick i really want a street circuit there simply because so much of it translates across the french just across the med but also it is literally just across the med and if you're going to have a race in africa just having one in South Africa really doesn't cover much. There aren't too many countries on that continent that could feasibly host a Grand Prix in their current financial situation. I think Algeria is one of the few that could. But I'm with you, Cam. Um, Return to South Africa is what I really like. I like the idea of making it a season opener, partly because in terms of travel, there's nowhere else really near it. So you kind of need to start the season there and have a couple of weeks before you go to anywhere else. However, it's also a place where you can build a destination race. And I'm pretty sure that this sentence has never been said before, but I believe the answer is with a one Grand Prix. The Durban race in that championship was voted as the best in the first season of that championship. I'm not suggesting you use the same track. Please join me, everyone listening in my campaign to get a Durban street circuit on the Formula One calendar. It makes perfect sense. It is the Brighton of South Africa. You can get people down there, season opening race on a street circuit. Liberty, this is what you want. Go to Africa. It's not as hard as you make it out to be. Maybe, Joe, is this not just you say we need to race in Durban, but a street track in Brighton? Um, a street, a street circuit in Brighton would be absolute hell. It'd be so bad. I've, I've, I'm not even. No, I'm, I'm not going to go into it here. Like, there I've are seen, many, seen, many members of Royal designs, who that, but. I have seen designs of Brighton street circuits. They are dire. They make <laughs> they make Zeltweg look like the Nordschleifer. Seriously, not Brighton, Durban. Well, before we talk any more about Brighton Schleifer, Dylan, any destination race model you would like to pursue? I think I agree with Joe. We need to be having races in Africa. This is a world championship. You can't just miss out a continent. Whether that's South Africa, that seems to be the most feasible option. Or if you head up north and go for Morocco or somewhere like that, it would also work. It just needs to be on the calendar. And again, South America is definitely something that should be looked at, whether that's something in Santiago or Buenos Aires. It's definitely something that needs to be looked at. And I'd say that these are maybe probably better options than Vegas. But then I don't think that's Anything's better than Vegas. <laughs> I mean, Vegas Vegas does look nice, but can you imagine? I almost feel that the Las Vegas Strip, I almost feel there'd be someone at Liberty would come with the idea of let's just do a drag race down the Vegas Strip. And I would be. The same thing would happen as it always (laughs) happens. It's the same with the New York track. We're going to have a race in New York. You know where the track was designed? New Jersey. It wasn't even in the same state. They'd propose a race in downtown vegas and it would end up just like the last one in the car park of caesar's palace it it will never happen the way they want it to and i think the more we can move on from that bad memory 
I think the better. Of course, plenty to discuss about the tracks on the calendar, but what about when they are as well? Well, that's coming up next. Now, um, we've discussed a lot about tracks we want to have on the calendar and the kind of races and the kind of destinations and the kind of spectacles that we'd like to see in Formula One. But there is another debate that has been so significant in the last few years, and that really centres on just how many races we can fit into a season. We were talking about this earlier. There's 23 races on the 2022 calendar. Um, Liberty have said we can have up to 25 on the calendar, but you're effectively running then at one race every two weeks per year. We've already got, as I said, from race six onwards this season, either consecutive double or triple headers to the end of the season. It's a nightmare, even with a cost cap, particularly for a lot of the smaller teams. It is a logistical nightmare. And there have been some suggestions of limiting the F1 calendar to 20 races a season. It's a move I support. I'm 100% in support of this. I think one idea I've heard quite a lot is a rotating calendar where you have some tracks, for example, that you say have to stay on the calendar each year. And those would tend to be the classic tracks, the Silverstones, the Spas, the Monzas, those you have to keep on the calendar. But a few races, maybe a few more of the destination venues, you can kind of alternate year in, year out. Almost give it a bit like a fallow year, like you do with Glastonbury. Alternate them in and, in and out. Reach, make sure you're still reaching the same markets each year, but going to different places within those markets whilst keeping the classic element of Formula One. I mean, there's a lot we can discuss here in the very little time we've got left. So, Dylan, logistics is a nightmare with Formula One. But do you think cutting down the races and having a rotating calendar would work? Yeah, I think it's cutting costs. That's definitely a priority for the financial side of Formula One. It's something that needs to be done. I do think that signing a contract for a Grand Prix where it will be consecutively on the calendar for a decade like they've done in Qatar is absolutely ridiculous. There should be mm. no nowhere near that sort of level of consistency in the calendar. I think there are so many good venues we could be going to. We should be going to less every year, but we should be going to different ones too. And it allows us to go back as well to tracks that perhaps we haven't had on the calendar that potentially, say a track's having an issue one year, say like the Indian Grand Prix, for example, where they were supposed to be off the calendar for one year. If it had had that kind of assurance, okay, we're going to give you a year off the calendar to sort out the tax dispute, then you can come on after that. I mean, these kind of long contracts, the problem is when you've got the long contracts and then you break one year of the contract, it kind of locks you in and it's not easy to get out of that contract if you need to. Whereas something like that rotating system may allow tracks a lot more flexibility and potentially with COVID as well. We've seen the flexibility that Formula One can have. So it's clear Formula One's a sport that can handle different tracks in very short notice as well. So, Joe, well, I mean, when we look at that, do you think that rotating calendar idea, do you think that is one for the future of Formula One? You see, there is a selfish side to me which just likes more races. I mean, I've, we've heard all the we've heard all the complaints and justifiably so um, from the teams. And I, I stand by what I said earlier that we could well be going into an era where you know mechanic and general team staff welfare is considered, and we end up with strikes or other changes, um, even up to even up to overall calendar level with Liberty. Because I just this twenty five race limit with what they're proposing, I just don't see how they keep to it unless they axe basically all the classics. 
But as much as I loved having Grand Prix seemingly every weekend, you do need to think about it and what you're proposing. Yeah. It does make sense. And it is actually a perfect a perfect division between the classic tracks and the destination races because the destinations are based on getting as many people through the door as possible. Well, it's not an overwhelmingly reliable model, but it stands to reason that you know the, the returns would be better if you did it every other year rather than every year. Stop people getting bored because the track probably isn't going to have too many applications outside Formula One. But the classics, the Grand Prix weekend, that's where they make the money. It's the, the FIA don't pay you to host a Grand Prix. You have to foot the cost. You get it back in ticket receipts, which is why the classics have suffered so much in the last couple of years. If you have a guaranteed amount of people that are willing to go to these races, hosting them every year as part of the fixed calendar, yeah, why not? Okay, Dylan, anything you want to jump in with quickly? I think it would also just be so much better for some of those tracks that are good but aren't great. It's like your Albert Parks and circuits like that. Venues such as, I don't know, maybe Austin, no, I don't know. There's there's definitely a few tracks that are good, but could be better. Or also, their space every year takes up another good track. Like why Portimao isn't on the calendar next year? Mm. Like if we said let's go to Imola this year, Portimao the year after, it would make sense. It's two good tracks that have a space. It seems like a sort of feasible model. If you want to go 25 races or higher, if you have enough cars on the grid and say, we'll just count points from 20 races, you don't have to attend all 25. That could be an interesting way of looking at it. Something to consider, I suppose. I mean, it's going back to the old pre-1990s days where it's, I can't remember the exact proportion off the top of my head, but it was a proportion, a sizable proportion of the results you got. But even then, that was an 18 race calendar. And that I think was to, I think, try and mitigate against the kind of poor weekends that drivers would have sometimes and often getting retirements who felt no faults of their own, probably because the cars in the 1980s were lucky to last half the race, let alone the full race. So, yeah, it's an, inter- it's an interesting one. That I guess the big question you'd be asking yourself in that instance is what races do you keep permanently? Because I would say, Dylan, maybe not so much Albert Park, but Austin definitely I would have on the calendar every year. I mean, the US, I, the US is a captive motorsport market maybe not for formula one but it is a captive motorsport market austin and kota is the best track that i think that there is for formula one racing in the united states at the moment it's a it's well designed compared to most tracks that we've raced on in the u.s and i do think it does provide good racing i think the interesting thing is that potentially a lot of the races i think fans would go towards as the ones you definitely have are a lot of the european ones particularly that kind of European block in June, July, September. So as we've said, your Silverstones, your Zam- maybe not your Zanvorts, but your Silverstones, your Spars, your Monzas, um, your, maybe your Hungaro rings even, because that is quite a popular one among fans. Maybe Montreal as well. Um, Bahrain, potentially, or maybe you rotate some of, the race- some of the races in the Middle East. Suzuka would obviously be on there. I think Interlagos would definitely be on that list as well. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because I think, I don't know, I fear that when you determine what races are on all the time, they're, as much as I've been saying on oh, classic cl- tracks, classic tracks, classic tracks, you ha- there are some newer tracks in the calendar, particularly in these new emerging markets that I feel have to be on the calendar. You have to have at least one visit to maybe Singapore or to Brazil every year. I mean, Joe, when you look at that, how, how, how would you kind of determine what races you definitely have on the calendar? 
I don't know is the simple answer to that. I don't know if there's a hard and fast way of um, sorting it out because I think a lot of it will inevitably come down to the financial side of things. Mm. Um, I, I do agree with you, though. I think I think there has to be one race guaranteed in the US. No more. It makes no. I, I hate this idea that we're going to have two or three races <laughs> there. And rather than having a US Grand Prix, like US Grand Prix East already sounded bad enough. Miami Grand Prix. What does it become? A city state all of a sudden? No, it doesn't work. <laughs> Um, but on your but point it's not the city state yeah. of Emilia Romagna. Oh, look! I am look. I am <laughs> literally from that region of Italy. I am not going to make any defence for why that why that is, Grand Prix is allowed to happen because Imola is also not that great for racing. But just um, to immolate myself at the end of this podcast with any US fans that have joined Formula One, it's not just that Cota is the best track for F1 in the US. It's literally the only one. There are no others that work. I'm sorry. And to all the people who say, I want to see Formula One cars race round an oval, no, you don't. Trust me, no, you don't. Indeed. I mean, there was, I have seen they've made some changes to the sort of the road car layout that runs through the middle of Indy. But they, I think they've made it just a little bit worse. And in this current generation of Formula One cars, I wouldn't touch Indy with a barge pole. So. We t- I guess there's that's that one bit of that, which is obviously the calendar, how many races you have. If you have a rotating calendar, what races do you keep? But another thing is logistics. And this is something that was talked about a lot towards the end of last season when we talked about the triple headers, because triple headers have only been a thing in the last couple of years. But, you know, last year we had the crazy situation of a Mexico-Brazil-Qatar triple header when we could very easily have gone to Mexico-Brazil double header and then Qatar-Saudi-Arabia um, UAE triple header, which would have made so much more sense. But there we go, Formula One. There's been a lot of instances where there's a lot more stress and pressure on teams to move large quantities of parts around very suddenly. And it puts significant strain, not just on the team, but on the environment as well. So I, I'm, I'm always interested when Formula One and FOM and Liberty design the calendar, Obviously, the commercial aspect is a significant part of that. And obviously, the climate is another very significant part of this. But we mentioned this earlier with Miami and Montreal, why they're not a double header, for example, for a sport that's trying to be more welfare and environmentally conscious. Dylan, why do you think we still see some of these crazy logistical nightmares pop up? Because it's not FOM's problem. It's the team's problem. And... I think it just tells you what the priorities are at the different levels. I think there's definitely just the commercial aspect. We're bending to the will of who, like what races are when, because that's when they're most commercially viable rather than when they're most sustainable. And I think maybe a reassessment of those priorities needs to take place. But perhaps here's an alternative. I want to hear both of your thoughts on this because, and I have seen this suggested, but, when we have the we have the flyaways europe flyaways why don't we potentially sort of geographically block out the season so say you wanted to start with a race in africa you do the first race of the season in africa or maybe australasia so you get australia done early you get africa done early and then you maybe have i don't know some races perhaps in sort of the middle east maybe in april you can do a lot of the races around there you then go to Europe, so sort of May through to like maybe August, September time. Then maybe after that, you can do, I don't know, some of the North American races you have to use, like Montreal, 
Um, you can't really do Montreal in the middle of the winter, but maybe some North American races there. And then either go to Latin America and connect and finish in East Asia, or then go to East Asia and finish off in Latin America. I mean, again, that it, it's a very difficult thing to put together, but maybe from a logistical standpoint, that would make a lot more sense. And potentially as well, you can have distinct bits of the calendar saying, right, we're now in the European phase of the season. We're now in the Latin American phase of the season. We're now in the Asian bit of the season. I mean, Joe, does that, do you think that's something that from a commercial perspective, perhaps, Liberty would buy? Um, commercially, in terms of the individual countries, it may be a slight compromise. You know, you're not you're not going to this venue at exactly the right moment. But the thing is, that is what we should do. It's the easiest way of cutting down the travel mileage. But the unfortunate response to that is, that's kind of what we already do. We already talk about the European portion of the season, the Middle Eastern portion of the season. Like you can see, the geographical blocking is there. They just compromise it constantly because, again, the financial incentives are there for FOM. Like, as and I'll go back to how I began this. Miami, I wasn't overwhelmingly against it when I thought, oh, you can stick that as a doubleheader against Montreal. Now it makes no sense. Like, hmm. the, Euro- the we're still in that European block of the season. It's just there's inexplicably two trips to Eastern North America in it as well. Yeah, and that I that I think is the issue. If because there is a general geographical spacing, perhaps that you've alluded to there, but there is a lot of the calendar that just doesn't make sense. It's these little one bit trips almost, but they're the ones that often have the most impact. Especially, you know, consider the situation going between Baku and Montreal, for example. I think that's going to be a real nightmare. Considering the fact, obviously, maybe two street tracks makes it slightly easier in terms of you know to get the cars ready for the weekend but it's just a nightmare situation getting from Baku which isn't the most well connected city in the world to Montreal which is the one of the better connected cities but is across the other side of the Atlantic and the other side of the continent of Europe as well so I guess let's finish off with this because we've been talking about what races should be on the calendar when they should be on the calendar when they should be on the calendar. So I guess let's summarise now. If you were to build an F1 calendar, just very quickly, and you don't have to give an exact order, but in the if you, you're trying to fix the calendar, if you're going to Liberty Media and saying, here's what you need to do, what do you do? If it was me, I would say definitely the rotating calendar idea. I think definitely preserve your classic tracks. I think particularly amongst the European legs, I think make sure you have races across all continents and use the destination race model, particularly in growing markets like in Africa, like in Latin America in particular, to really boost local fans' engagement with the sport as well and create the atmosphere that can perhaps make up for some slightly lesser quality tracks around the world. And also 20 races a season. You don't need any more. Less is more sometimes. You want to preserve the quality throughout the season. I think that's the best way to do it. Dylan, what would you do? I think I'm pretty much in the same mind as you can, but I think you've also got to make it make sense while you're sort of building the calendar. So you can have a European portion, but also just go UK, France, Belgium, and then down. It, you know, it's mm. an easy fix. They're a week apart. Swap them, makes it easier for everyone, cheaper for everyone, and definitely probably the most economically and environmentally efficient way to do it too 
And like you said, you've got to keep the classic tracks just to sustain what Formula One is. And where, how you determine that, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I think also you've got to level out the premiums, like Abu Dhabi paying to be the last race of the season. I don't think that's right. And it messes up. Like you said, it's, it compromises your whole blocking system. So it's definitely something that needs to be looked at there. Joe, anything else to add from you? A quick addition. No venue is allowed to sign a contract to host a Grand Prix for more than five years. This Doha 10-year thing makes no sense to me. Well, yeah, it could be a very exciting, well-attended race in years one and two. We'll see how popular it is years seven and eight. Especially as the track hasn't been built yet and we don't really have any clue what we're getting in for. Well, Joe... If we're in, sorry, if it were in any other sport, you would think that this is a scam or some kind of pyramid scheme. It just... It, 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 <laughs> 10 years for a track that doesn't even exist. We haven't even got designs for. Nothing more to say. Well, I mean, if we've seen any designs, I think for the track in Saudi Arabia, that I think I saw one that... Um, one potential design that was 37 corners. So this is... If this is what we've got to look forward to this decade, well... I'm not signed up for it. I'm not signed up for it. Just give me a race around Silverstone every weekend and I'm happy, but can't get everything I dream for. Well, Joe, Dylan, thank you so much. It's been fantastic to have your company today. As ever, tune in to the Armchair F1 podcast across all major streaming platforms. We're on social media as well at Armchair F1 pod. We have one more special episode that we're going to be doing before the 2022 season. We're going to be looking at the new regulations, what exactly they are going to do for next year before we start the 2022 season. A lot more to look forward to, but as ever, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.